Church, good to see you. Thank you, worship team. Joey, would you mind bringing me that pulpit with your hulking biceps? Anyway, um, that wasn't nice. That wasn't nice. I always tease Pastor Joey that, you know, these other guys, they shred the guitar and he tickles the ivories. But whatever, you know, so it doesn't have a cool instrument. It's great to worship the Lord. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. We're going through um, this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor, uh, Timothy, and we entitled the series Guarding the Gospel, and we're going to do this for the summer. And so inside of your bulletin is a handout. You can follow along with me. There's a Bible under the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take that one with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have a copy of the Word of God and to read it and uh, be changed by it. And while you're kind of doing that, let me just do this quickly this morning. Uh, I know there's one here. I've run the risk in the 815. There won't be any more than one, but uh, it's, uh, it's graduation week. I did it with the college students a couple weeks ago, but now we've got our high school graduates. Are there any high school graduates in the room? We want to celebrate you. I know we got one, and I'm looking at you, so you got to stand. Uh, any more? Stand up. Come on, any more? Great job. All right, great job. Congratulations. That's all I got for you. I mean, you want me to do a speech? I'll do a speech, you know. Um, you know, I know you're thinking about being a dental assistant, so we had, a, we had a great talk about that, which was don't ask your client questions while your hands are in their mouth. So anyway, that was my advice uh, to the dental assistant. But uh, man, a great job, high school students. And speaking of high school and graduation, this past Wednesday night uh, in our student ministry, um, our student ministry, um, uh, did a graduation night with the students that are a part of the ministry and uh, I think we had six or eight students and their families were here and they just did an awesome job and and it was an opportunity for actually the students uh, to say something to their family and their friends upon graduation and it was interesting to hear the students and what they had to say and and uh, one of the actually I think all of the students uh, thank their parents. And one of the things that was kind of the theme in thanking their parents that night was they thanked their parents and they said, I want to thank you, mom and dad, or mom, however the uh, family dynamic is. I want to thank you for unconditional love. That came out over and over and over again by the hearts and the lives of these students. And I got to thinking about that. You know, when someone loves you unconditionally, when, you, when your life has, is surrounded by people that, that love you no matter what. In fact, they would often say, now, I know I've made some mistakes, Mom and Dad, but, man, you, you loved me unconditionally. Man, that's a great foundation upon which a person can, can live their lives, right? And, and the truth be told, that's not just a student thing. Like, we all need that in our lives, right? We need somebody that's alongside of us in the journey that no matter what happens, no matter if I stumble and fall, or even if I stumble into sin, you know, and bring shame upon my life and others, that, man, that person loves me, they're alongside of me unconditionally. And these students echoed that, and, and, and you know, we, we need that in our lives as we journey and we grow with Christ. And, and so we're doing this this series called Guarding the Gospel, and we're, we're going through the book of 1 Timothy, and it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, and he, he's teaching Timothy how to build a healthy church 
in order to guard the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ and make sure that those truths are passed down from one generation to the next to continue to influence the culture so that the culture may be changed by the gospel of Christ. And we looked at a couple weeks ago how uh, Paul starts with right teaching. He says if, if the gospel is going to be guarded, it's got to be taught appropriately. He actually talked about the law. And if a person's heart is self-righteous and proud, that before you can even give them the gospel, which means good news, you first have to understand your sinful condition. And so the law is the mirror of the righteousness of God and that it should show us that we fall short and therefore we're in need of saving. And last week, Pastor Andrew did a great job of reminding us this great doctrine, the doctrine of, use a big word here, the doctrine of justification, that we stand righteous in the sight of God by grace alone, through faith alone, through the, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Righteousness is granted to us Freely. And now in that context, Paul makes these, this very simple statement to Timothy in the next couple verses. And I, I just thought it was a great reminder to us this morning. And there's a lot I could preach on in 1 Timothy, and so I've had to choose carefully. But man, this, the simplicity of what the Apostle Paul says next to Timothy, I thought was worthy of us to park for a morning. So here we go. Ready? 1 Timothy 1, verse 18. After explaining the gospel, the Apostle Paul says this. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. Now, I don't have time to park there. We get a little more of that in first, uh, 2 Timothy where Paul talks about his spiritual heritage of his grandmother and his mother, how they imparted the faith to him. And there's this kind of this calling over the life of Timothy. And he says this, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Some people have deliberately violated their conscience, and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw them out I handed, and handed them over to Satan so that they may no longer or they may learn not to blaspheme the Lord. And so Paul here encourages Timothy. If we're going to have a, a healthy church, and, and, and part of the reason that, if you remember, I said this in week one, I said the reason I chose Timothy to go through as a church body is I actually thought in my mind when I was planning out my sermon calendar over a year ago that I thought we were actually thinking about talking about going into campuses. And I want to make sure that each of us at our separate campuses understood that, that hey, this is what it looks like to build a healthy church. You know, God has changed our vision as a church, but he hasn't changed the truth of what it requires to build a healthy church. And I want to challenge us this morning that there is, a, there is a sense in which as you mature in Christ, there is a steadiness to your faith. There is a steadiness to your spiritual journey. In fact, I've entitled the sermon, Steady in the Faith, because too many times we, we become Christians and we're wavering, we're up and down. And the Apostle Paul gives some really simple instructions about how to remain steady in your spiritual journey. The first thing he says is this. He says, you've got to remember that this is a spiritual battle. We're in the middle of a spiritual battle. How do I know that? He says, well, may they help you. In other words, it's these words that were spoken over you, Timothy. May they help you fight well the Lord's battles. Church, we're... we're this is not peacetime. We, we're at war. Right? I'm not talking about against a people group. This is a spiritual battle, and, and there are enemies to our faith, and it consumes people. 
There's an eternal nature to the soul of every human being. And the problem is here in America, the American church, we are living as if it's peacetime. In fact, that's my first point. This is not peacetime. That's in the life to come. Now, do we get respites along the way? Of course we do, right? Psalm 20, uh, uh, 23rd Psalm reminds us that God prepares for us a table in the middle of our enemies, right? There's time. There's a, the idea in the, in the Ten Commandments of a Sabbath. There's rests along the way, okay? But our ultimate rest is when Christ returns and establishes our kingdom, his kingdom. In the meantime, this is not peacetime. This is wartime. Does God give us rest along the way? Yes, that's part of what this morning is. We gather weekly and go, Oh, man, I need, to, I need to find a spot of rest to refuel for the battle. You can't battle, battle, battle every day. But let me tell you something. Life is hard, and we live in American culture, man. We, we live as if it's peace time. We become Christians, and then it's, it's kind of like it's a tackle on fire insurance until we get to eternity. And we forget that there, there, there is a war to be waged, and it's spiritual. And parents, let me tell you something. It's, if you've got kids... Man, the culture is screaming at your kids to do the opposite of the truth of the gospel of Christ. And we have to be diligent. And dads, I want to tell you, your Father's Day is coming up, and, and uh, you know, we'll talk about that. But dads, if, if, you're, if your spiritual battle is to come home from an exhausting day of work, and I get it, it's exhausting, but if your spiritual battle is to come home, grab the remote, sit there till bedtime, flipping through the channels, you're not waging the war very well. We have to be diligent in, in preparing our children for this thing called wartime. And the Bible's clear what our enemies are in the spiritual battle, right? There's three of them. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, the world is uh, <clears throat> those outside influences that influence our thinking, okay? And I, I didn't write all these verses down. You can kind of put these in your notes, all right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, kind of unpacks that. 1 John 2, 15 to 17, we'll look those up later, kind of unpacks for us the, what the world looks like and how it attacks our thinking, right? It makes us, what the world does is it gets us to focus on things that are short-sighted, pride of life, stuff, right? And so if you're walking through your life and, and, and man, all you're concerned about is your stuff and, man, I got a choir and this and that, man, you're focused on the things of the world. The Bible's very clear. The things of this world are not going to last. Even the bodies that we have here on this life, they don't last, okay? God is preparing us for eternity. The glorified body is a body that's going to exist for all eternity. And the second enemy is our flesh, right? It's our sin nature. Now, before you become a Christian... All right, the Bible's very clear. You're dead in your sins. That means you're self-consumed. That doesn't mean that you're as bad as you could be. It just means everything about your nature is about you. And Pastor Andrew talked about what sin is last week, right? He said it's to miss the mark. It's an archery term. It's like yelling four, right? When you play golf and you miss, hit the ball. Four, sin, sin right? And the, and, and the Bible's very clear about sin. The wages of sin is what, church? Some of y'all know this. It's death, right? And what's it mean to sin, right? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. There were two trees, right? One they were not to eat of. Don't eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, lest you will what? Die. Die. What is that? It's the wage of sin. It's, it's missing the mark of God's commands, and therefore there is a consequence. It is sin. And so our flesh, when before Christ, were consumed with sin. But then the Holy Spirit, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, 
The Holy Spirit does a miracle of a spiritual awakening, and it awakens you to repentance and faith in Christ. Now, as a Christian, once you become a Christian, you are now free from the dominion of sin, but you're not free from its influence. So here's the deal, okay? As you become a Christian, you're now awakened to join the battle. Does that make sense? And battle against the sin of your flesh. And the flesh is self-consumed. And we battle with this until we die. It's this process called sanctification. And the third enemy is the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8. Again, I don't have it in your notes. You can write it down. It tells us that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't know that I have biblical precedence for this, but I want to just share with you how I think this stuff works. Okay? The world entices us to indulge our flesh. Right? The world tempts us. The world indulges us. And so, and so there's this thinking thing going on. And, we're, and we're, we're tempted to lust or we're tempted to be consumed with the temporal or we're tempted to, you know, to whatever, take our eyes off of Christ. And then the flesh takes hold and we do it anyway. And eventually, and by the way, when a lion eats, Pastor Andrew told me this recently, when a lion eats its prey, part of the reason that it roars is to make sure all the other enemies, uh, his enemies that would steal his, uh, would steal his meal, will scatter. And when, when a lion attacks its prey, what does it do? It gets the weakest one, the one that's furthest from the herd, right? And so when you get disconnected from the people of Christ and, and the body of Christ and you've indulged your flesh and the world's consumed your thinking, you become prey for Satan and he devours that person, right? So that's kind of how this works, and we have to be attuned to that. Like, church, we're in a spiritual battle, Paul reminds Timothy. And in this spiritual battle, Paul gives some really practical steps, okay? So we're gonna, I'm just going to give you three really practical steps of how Paul encourages his young Timothy to fight this spiritual battle. Now, uh, if you're familiar with your scriptures, and I'm not going to go there this morning you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, where Paul writes the church of Ephesus, which is where Timothy is probably pastoring, and he talks to them about putting on the full armor of God, okay? And that's, so, uh, that's a great passage of Scripture, Ephesians 6, 10. You can look at that another time. But here to Timothy, he, he kind of doesn't unpack the full armor of God. He gives Timothy three really simple, practical steps to make sure that he's steady in his faith and that he's fighting this battle. So here it is, 1 Timothy 1.19. Ready? Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Cling to your faith in Christ, keep your conscience clear. There's two simple steps right there. Number one, cling to your faith in Christ. Cling to your faith in Christ. I, uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a fireplace, and we, um, we burn wood all year, all winter, man. We love to have our fireplace going. And, um, and so we, you know, I, I have a bunch of five-gallon buckets that I use for ashes, and I use for, you know, all kinds of, all, all the stuff you need to do to light fires all the time in your house. And so, and so at, uh, this past spring, I, um, <clears throat> I'd stack, I cleaned up after, you know, the winter, and I'd put them in my shed, and I had stacked all the five-gallon buckets. And I needed one one day in my yard, and I went to – I had these two buckets. And some of you all that probably work in construction sites, if you know this to be true, like you stick two five-gallon buckets together, and sometimes they cling, 
okay? And so, man, I was pulling, and I was gripping, and I was ripping, and I was saying things over these buckets I shouldn't have. And I mean, this went on for like an hour. I couldn't get these, I was like, these I was about to throw them away. I'm like, these buckets. I actually went online and found out how to separate them using an air compressor, okay? That's, that's how I eventually, it's amazing. By the way, it's amazing what you can learn on YouTube, okay? Like, I think you could repair the space shuttle if you needed to by watching some YouTube videos, you know? And so, uh, type in anything on YouTube, there's probably somebody's figured it out, okay? So I figured out how to separate these buckets, but man, these things were clinging, man, and it was like, man, it's not coming off, and I got to thinking about when I thought, came across this word cling, and t Paul tells Timothy, cling to Christ. And think about this five-gallon buckets, man, where, you know, you can't pull them apart. And, and I want you to think about the idea of it's a spiritual battle, right? And in the middle of that battle, if we're going to win the war, if we're going to be a part of journeying from beginning to end as a follower of Christ, you've got to cling to Christ. Don't let the world pull you. High school graduates, okay, you're about to go to college. There's going to be some college professor that's going to kind of try to undermine the faith philosophically, Right? And it's a bunch of philosophical bunk. Let me just tell you that right now. But they're going to try to tell you that you got to check your brain at the door. Be a Christian. Let me tell you something. That's not true. Because if it's, here's the deal. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. When some uh, professor's trying to undermine Christianity, ask one question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if a dead guy steps out of his grave, it doesn't matter how much philosophy you put around it. His words are true. If he didn't rise from the dead, if the grave and the resurrection would be disproved, then go believe something else. Because that's what the Apostle Paul said. But otherwise, if a dead guy comes back to life, you better cling to that guy. Right? Because here's the deal. That professor one day, we're going to place his body in a grave. Then what? Then what? dead guy came back to life said I'm the resurrection of life anyone who believes in me even though he dies yet shall he live I'm trusting that guy okay I'm trusting that guy cling to Christ man and by the way this is a Sean Brown <coughs> side note you know but as we as we grow spiritual in spiritual maturity as we grow in spiritual maturity there should be a steadiness to our faith you know what I mean by that there should be, I'm not saying we never have a bad day, okay? But as we grow in spiritual maturity, I've run into too many Christians that have been a Christian for a long time. It's like, oh, I'm trusting Jesus, man. I'm on, like, you know, I go to summer camp or I go to this weekend retreat or maybe there's a particular worship service. It's like, man, it's off the charts. And, man, I'm just, I'm up here with Christ. And the next day I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure. And it's like this boom and then boom and boom and it's boom and at some point, like, we should be growing in our maturity where there's a steadiness to us because we're clinging to Christ. We've, we've been at it long enough to know, you know, we, we, we make some decisions in our lives. Like, we, we look at this book and we go, man, this book, I, I'm, I'm clinging. This is the word of God. I'm not wavering off of that anymore. And then not only am I clinging to it, but I'm reading it, and I'm, I'm letting it filter into my thinking and my worldview, and I'm letting it change me. And because I'm being changed, I'm, I'm clinging more to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's no, there's a steadiness. There's a bedrock-like commitment to that person. In fact, I think that's why Paul is saying this to Timothy. Timothy, you're about to pastor a church. Like, be steady. Cling to Christ. Just like these graduates on Wednesday night were able to say, Mom, Dad, I appreciate your, your unfailing love. You're committed to me. 
And that's a, that's a foundation a person's life can be built on. I, this past week, I called uh, the person in my life that I often say is one of my pastors, uh, Alistair Geddes. I let him pre he'll be preaching here this fall, the Scotsman, okay? You guys probably met him, but maybe not. Every time I call him, I say, Alistair, how you doing? You know what he says? I'm marvelous every time. <laughs> like, you're not marvelous. you got to be having a bad day sometimes. No, I'm marvelous. You know, now, does he have a bad day? Probably. Not that he's ever let on to me. I don't know. But, you know, but like, why does he do that? Because there's a steadiness to him. And too many Christians, like, we stay kind of in this, in this infantile state where there's this wavering in our minds and in our hearts. And, and I want to encourage you, man, we got to cling to Christ. And a coastal man, we, we believe there's some essentials that will help you do this. We want you to be a regular at corporate worship. Be a regular in corporate worship. Make it a part of your spiritual discipline. And here's the deal. Like, like we're heading into the summer months, and I get it. Like I've got some vacation planned. You've got some vacation planned. And, and it's easy to let two weeks slide into three weeks, slide into a month. You know, and I haven't been a part of a body of Christ in corporate worship. It's one of the things that God has given us to help us cling to Christ. And be in a small group ministry. All right, be, be a part of a small group, living in community, rubbing shoulders with other Christians, doing life together. These are people that are going to help you not only grow to be more like Christ, but they're going to be people that are there for you when life gets hard. They're going to pray with you. They're going to sit with you in a, in a waiting room. They're going to go with you to a doctor's office as you're waiting the test results. That's what small group ministry is. Because there's times when where life gets hard and, and literally it feels like if I'm going to journey with Christ, it feels like I'm clinging. And you need other people around you to kind of cling with you in small group ministry. And find a place to serve God and to serve others. There's nothing that adjusts my worldview like giving back to others especially those who have less than I do. Like when I give back to people in need, man, it pretty quickly adjusts my thinking of what's important. This, uh, this summer, my, my family and I are um, getting ready to go to Honduras with our Honduras team. And, um, and I'm nervous a little bit. And I'm not nervous to go to Michigan. I'm nervous of how I'm going to come back. There goes this. We don't need this. You know, we don't need this. And things are just going to start getting sold out of my house. We don't need these teenagers, you know. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, but uh, because it adjusts your thinking. It adjusts your worldview when you serve others. And it, it, it makes you realize, man, I've got way more than I need. We serve God. And, 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 this, and you'll, you'll recognize this, right? At Coastal, we say our vision is to develop authentic followers of Christ. How do we want to do that? Through connect, grow, and serve. These are, these are biblical principles. If we read through the New Testament, we're like, man, this is what Paul and some of the other apostles taught the church about how to cling to Christ so that you can fight the spiritual battle that you're in the midst of. The second thing uh, Paul tells Timothy, I love this, okay? He says, Cling to Christ and keep your conscience clear. Keep a clear conscience. Now, your conscience is this idea of moral sensitivity. It's, it's kind of faith's warning system in your heart and in your spirit and in your mind. Paul says in Titus chapter 1, it's possible to have a, have a corrupted conscience. But in general, your conscience is, is a God-given sensitivity to right and wrong. 
And you couple this with God's word and you couple this with connect, grow, and, and serve. Man, it's a great tool for clinging to Christ and standing firm in the faith. The Apostle Paul many, many times throughout the New Testament says he served God with a clear conscience. It's, your conscience, by the way, needs to be influenced by the word of God so that you know truth and you know right and wrong. And when a believer, if you're here this morning, you're a believer and you get, you get stuck in some kind of a habitual sin. That's the thing that the conscience is the thing that keeps you up at night. In fact, one of the ways that I know, like there are times that, yeah, in your life where you've got to make a moral decision and the Bible maybe doesn't give exact clarity. You know how I know which one to choose? For me, I always choose the one that says, you know what, I can put my head on the pillow at night with a clear conscience. And I will tell you this, 99 times out of 100, that choice is the more difficult choice for Sean Brown. It's the one that makes my life more difficult. And I do that because I want to get through life with a clear conscience. Last night I, I sat down with my boys and we listened to the back end of a sermon that I listened to this week and uh, this week and it was by Dennis Rainey and it was just a, it was a sermon he preached to to past uh, guys in seminary that were about to be pastors and just thought it was good stuff for my boys but he talked about some of the really nitty gritty stuff in life that helps you keep your conscience clear. He talked about things like you know he never gets in a car with another woman ever besides his wife. You know, he never always counsels. And this is pastor stuff, but it's stuff that applies to you. He never, he never, he never writes an email to a woman, uh, Dennis Rainey, without carbon copy and his wife, so his wife will see every interaction that he has with another woman. Why? So he knows, man. She's not. My husband's not flirtatious in any way. That's the kind of stuff that keeps your conscience clear. That's the kind of stuff that says, man, I, I can lead well. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you say, yes, I am a Christian, and you're in habitual sin, man. That thing called the conscience, man, it'll keep you up at night. Psalm, 20, Psalm 32 says this. When being stuck in sin, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. If you're a believer, man, and you got you got habitual sin in your life, man, you it's it's wearying. It will fatigue you. You, you gotta run around with this sense of, man, I, I just gotta cover up. I hope nobody finds out. It's exhausting. I hope that if that's where you are this morning, you're ready to lay that down. I hope you're ready to repent of that mess. Find an accountability partner. Tell somebody else who can help hold you accountable because it's exhausting to hide your sin. Yes? And here's the deal. Like, here's how this works, especially as a Christian because you got the Spirit of God in you who wants you to be way more than you're settling for. Like you're settling for this junk and God's like, man, I got something for you. So what happens is there, there'll be something, maybe even on a Sunday morning, like there's something, I'm preaching about something, something's going on. And you're like, man, it would be great to step into that ministry. 
The Spirit of God starts working. You know, you could be a small group leader and really influence a small group of people. And then the, the enemy gets a hold of your sin that you settled for, the junk that you settled for gets a hold of your sin. And in your mind, this, this, this thought goes through your mind and says, oh, you'll never be fill in the blank. A small group leader, a church leader, an influencer for the cause. You'll never be that because you watched or you stole, or you clicked on, or you cheated, or the list goes on. And so when you settle for junk, that the enemy now has a foothold to tell you all the things you'll never be. Now that's not true. God redeems things, He buys them back. But you you gotta get out of you gotta repent of that sin and become holy and pursue cling to Christ. And the conscience reminds us of that. In fact, Paul goes on to say in this passage, there's a, the danger of, your, of, of really shipwrecking your faith if you don't listen to your conscience. Check this out, 1 Timothy 1.19. Cling to your faith in Christ. Keep your conscience clear. Check this out. For some people have deliberately violated their conscience. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Can you imagine that? Himenaeus and Alexander are two examples. I threw, them, I threw them out. I handed them over to Satan so that they might learn not to blaspheme God. Here's the final thing I want you to see if you're preparing for the spiritual battle. You need to be serious about the danger of sin. I kind of already hinted at that, right? You've got to be serious about the danger of sin. And I already told you this, you know, as a, as a believer, by the power of the Holy Spirit... You're free to fight against sin. You're no longer dead in sin. And you're alive to how serious the destruction of sin is on your life. The battle for sanctification is now on. It's not as a means of earning. Your righteousness has been earned for you. It's a means of worshiping. As a believer, you go, man, this is what we talked about last week, the doctrine of justification, the covering of Christ. It came at a high cost to Jesus for you to be righteous. And how dare we continue to live in sin as if it didn't cost God anything. And so you're free now to battle for holiness and purity. And, and the big word, the Bible word is sanctification, to journey and be set apart for the things of God. You're free to live out who you are. You've been given a new name. You're free to live that out. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 9 about the seriousness of sin. Ready? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. Does it sound like Jesus is serious about sin? Man, I want to tell you something. Here, here, let me get practical. Jesus is saying, if your mouse button and your finger causes you to sin, it is better to cut that off than to go spend eternity in hell because you're settling for far less than God has for you. I found out this week that 
the book Fifty Shades of Grey topped the all the bestseller list. Ladies, I'm gonna tell you something. If you're settling for some fake fantasy love life with your hands as you read these novels that aren't filling your head with truth about what it means to love your husband when he's having a bad day and men what it means to love your wife when she's having a bad day that's real life that's steady in the faith it's honoring the lord in your marriage right if you're going to settle with your hands for less cut them off now is jesus really talking about maiming Probably not, okay? Like if you're here today and you're like, oh, the Bible's always meant to be taken literal, okay? You better cut your hands off then sometimes. I don't think, the, the idea here is Jesus saying, you've got to be serious about faith and sin. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. I see this on Facebook sometimes. It drives me crazy. People that claim to be Christians, men that claim to be Christians, say, hey, man, just had a great meal with my boy at Hooters. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I want to cut the humor out for a minute. Here's what you're telling that boy. Indulge your flesh. Indulge your eyes. Allow, sin, allow your flesh to indulge on a picture of a person you don't even know and be satisfied in that. If you're a Christian man and you're bringing up young boys, you have no business in Hooters. Cut your feet off before you walk into that restaurant. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. And it's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown in hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. Does it sound like Jesus is serious about sin and its dangers? Then how is it as Christian men and women that we're so light and easy on sin in our lives? I think what Jesus is telling us, it's a spiritual battle. Paul goes on in this passage to actually talk about church discipline, which I don't have time this morning to preach on church discipline, okay? But church discipline is an opportunity for a person who professes to be a Christian but stuck in a gross and habitual sin to repent that Paul, who goes on to say, so that they don't shipwreck their faith. What does that mean? I believe that a person who's a follower of Jesus will follow Jesus from the time they make that profession to the end of their lives. That's what I think the Bible teaches. Does that mean there's never any ups and downs? No, it doesn't mean there's never any ups and downs. Okay, but Jesus taught this in Matthew 13 about the sower and the seed, right? There's some seed that falls among the rocky soil, and it springs up, and it looks like a Christian, but it's not a Christian. Why? Because no roots went down. There's some seed that falls among the thorn bushes, and it grows up with the thorn bushes, and it looks like a Christian, but it's not a Christian. Why? Because the thorn bushes choke it out. Jesus goes on to remind us in Matthew 13 that the per that person is a person who's choked out. Their, their faith is choked out by the cares of the world. And so Paul says, listen, the idea of church discipline is not that the church is angry. The church is serious. 
And we, we love people enough to make sure that their faith is not shipwrecked on a path that they're going down. The path of life or the path of death. And Paul here says, man, there's two people that I, I, I actually exercised church discipline on so that they would be kind of turned over to the things of the world so that they might repent and cling to Christ. Cut off their hand, gouge out their eye, cut off their feet. That's better than to continue down the path of sin. Because the wages of sin is what, church? Do you believe that? So the next time temptation comes, by the way, I don't think temptation is sin. James says temptation gives birth to sin, right? The next time temptation comes, we're going to go, man, what am I going to choose? The path of life or the path of death? And as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you that now you're free to choose. Choose life. Cling to the faith. And so the question is, how serious are we about this book? How serious are we about the commands of God? How serious are we about taking the name Christian upon ourselves? How serious are we about the dangers of sin? Physical, emotional, and spiritual. How serious are we about pursuing holiness? How much do we really want to live up to the new name that God has given us, the name Christian? To guard the gospel in the church is to be wise in our understanding of the culture we live. It's to be serious about our enemies, about our faith. It's to be prepared for the fight and the spiritual battle and what lies ahead of us. We need a church of steady believers that are clinging to Christ. And Paul gives Timothy the game plan. And by the way, the game, a game plan is a good thing. The game plan is a good thing. Did you ever, I, uh, years ago I coached uh, Little League soccer, okay? And the hardest thing about Little League soccer, okay? Um, if you ever watch, so if you ever watch professional soccer, the players spread out, there's good spacing, the ball goes where it needs to go, but in Little League soccer, five, six, seven, eight, it's like two mobs that run around the field, you know, like that, and, and, um, and so when the ball gets going in one direction, it's really difficult to get it going the other direction, okay? And uh, so this past year, my oldest son, my 11th grader, he played, uh, so he played lacrosse for the first time. And there was a guy on his team whose name was Tiny. Now, this was a play on words. Tiny was about 6'4", okay? And so um, I got the joke as soon as I saw him, okay? He's huge. And so I'm at a game one time, and I look over, and I see this lady cheering for Tiny. I realize it's Tiny's mom, okay? And I looked over at, her, at the mom, and I go... I had Tiny in Little League soccer. Do you remember? And she goes, I do remember. I said, do you remember how, what I did with Tiny? She goes, I do remember. I couldn't tell if that was good or bad, okay? Uh, but the way I used Tiny, because he was so big in Little League soccer, he was the only kid that could, as a goalie, kick the ball all the way to midfield, okay? And so, man, I had this great strategy worked up. I get it. Little League soccer is about... Not about winning or losing. Whatever. I came up with a winning strategy. Okay, so um, Tiny would get the ball as my goalie, okay? And I had my son, Josh, who's pretty fast. And I would say, Josh, whenever Tiny gets the ball, you just run, okay? Just, you just run towards midfield. Don't, don't stop. Because what happens is little kids will wait for the goalie to kick the ball, and they'll look at it. But my son, Josh, would take off running. Tiny would kick the ball. Boom. And it would go over midfield. And my son, Josh, I probably, if he scored... 15 goals this way, I'm not lying. Okay, breakaway goal, and we won a lot of games because I had a strategy. I'm an idiot, right? I mean, these are five and six, but I had a strategy, okay? And we won a lot of games because Tiny could kick and Josh could run, you know? I love that Paul doesn't leave Timothy without a strategy. 
Church, we, we need to grow and be steady in the faith to guard the gospel, to lift up Christ. And Paul says, here's the strategy. A church of people that link arms and guard the gospel of Christ and lift up the light of Christ in the community. And Paul says, number one, cling to faith in Christ. Number two, live with a clear conscience. And number three, be serious about sin. I want to link arms with a group of people that walk that way for the fame of Jesus Christ. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Coastal Community Church. And I pray that you'd help us to be a people that are serious about linking arms for the fame of Christ. Heavenly Father, for the one in this room that this morning, as I was talking about sin, they are gripped with conviction. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning your spirit would not let them off the hook. That they would repent of sin. That they would cling to Christ. That they would find another person that would hold them accountable for the glory of Christ. Because God, you got way more for them than they're set on for. You don't have the path of death for them. You have the path of life. That's why your spirit resides inside of them. Help us to be a church that links arms, that we're steady, that when people come in and, and, and life is beating them up and they say, hey, how are things going? We can say marvelous because we are people that are steady clinging to Christ clear consciences fleeing from the dangers of sin not to earn but to worship and bring glory to our Savior God's Son Jesus Christ and it's in his name I pray amen okay church this is our offering time if you are a guest with us this morning thank you so much for being here we're not after your money. Okay, this is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal Community Church. As a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you. On the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. We call it a connect card. If you would fill that out, drop that in any offering plate. We just want to send you a thank you card for coming. If you're here this morning and you'd like to talk to someone, pray with someone, something I talked about, or, uh, man, you'd just like to begin to be free from sin, okay? Our prayer team members are up here on the front. They would love to talk with you and pray with you. They have purple shirts. That's how you'll recognize them. And that, so please, please, please. Uh, make use of that ministry. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take up our offering. Ushers, if you come forward, I'll turn over to the worship team and we will go out singing this morning.